This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Trojan fans. It's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Best Style Podcast on a Monday. We got a recap of USC's 41-28. Pac-12 victory over the Stanford Cardinal up on the farm. Lincoln Riley's first road win for USC and first conference win for the Trojans. We're going to talk all about that with the Coach Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, Harvey Hyde. Dot com. If you have any questions or comments for the show, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call or text us at 424-254-9141. We got a text or two to get to. We got a couple of voicemails, all that. If you have the Apple Podcasting app and you want to follow the Peristyle Podcast, we would greatly appreciate that. If you leave us a five-star rating, that helps to grow the show tremendously. You can tell a friend. About the show, you know a USC fan. They, maybe they love USC. Maybe they hate USC. They want to know what's going on with this Trojan football team that seems to be on a roll. Have them check out the Peristyle podcast. We do appreciate that. And we want to talk about everything that's been going on around this USC football program. Getting a big win up on the farm. Almost the exact opposite of last year. It was 42-28, if you remember. Uh, Stanford beating the Trojans in the Coliseum. This one was 41-28 the other way with Lincoln Riley. And the squad taking care of business uh, up on the farm. Coach, welcome into the show. How are you doing today? Well, thank you, Ryan. Welcome home. I'll tell you, it's a big weekend as far as for USC going up to Stanford and Lincoln Riley's first away game. Certainly did uh, enjoy watching the game, and I'm sure the kids really enjoyed coming home from the game. And that's what it's all about when you have a road game. You have a long period of time of staying together traveling home, enjoying the win, because when you get back, all you do is get ready for your next game, your next game, and maybe, I'm not sure, they may have gotten back in time to watch Fresno State and uh, Boise, uh, Oregon State, so who knows, they saw their next uh, two opponents. Yeah, that's true, There was uh, we did a little scouting after the press box, I don't know if they got back in time for that one, we were still... Uh, we were leaving the press box as that game was ending. So, But the USC team, you know, they were out of there a lot quicker than we were because we had to work in the press box and stuff. But I think you bring up an interesting point. Um, the way they assembled this team, Coach, it's, you know, we talked about potential chemistry issues. We haven't seen any of that. Seems like this is a very tight group, even though a lot of the players were added, you know, either you know earlier in the year uh, before spring football started or after the spring, sometime this summer. And then they just get to campus and only have had a few months with the with their new teammates. But those away games, what sort of bonding opportunity is that? Where you're you're all like traveling on the same plane, you're staying at the hotel, 
what kind of bonding opportunity is that for a team, especially that's been kind of put together more recently? I think it's a great opportunity. You spend a lot of time together. You're not out uh, with other friends. Uh, you're eating together. You're flying together. You're traveling together. You're sleeping together in the same hotel. Uh, you're having meetings. You're you're on a business trip. Uh, you're out there to get done what you go there for, then pack your bags and get back home. I used to say, let's go in there, take care of business, and enjoy it on the way home. And it's a great uh, feeling to when you come out of the locker room and you get on the bus to head towards uh, the airport. Uh, you can talk. You can have fun. You can enjoy the trip home. It's not one of those where, man, we got our butts beat and uh, no one talks on the plane and everybody's somber. But now on the way home, everybody can watch the game as far as on their computers. And it's a lot of fun. So it's a bonding type of feeling. And especially when the people have been together for a long period of time, it's a great experience for them to win. Some come from winning programs. Some come from programs that really have an experience winning. So some guys know, hey, this is the way it's supposed to be, and it's always this way. And some guys are saying, you know, I like this feeling better than the other feeling I used to have when coming for a program from a program that wasn't successful. So it's sort of putting it all together, and the coaches are the same way. The coaches have fun. Their families have fun. You're so much involved in one football game as far as the one hour that you have to demonstrate the thousands of hours that you do to prepare for it that you got to enjoy it. But once you land, then it's a different story. I'll bet you all the way home that uh, probably on the plane, somehow they had some type of hookup where they were watching the Fresno State-Oregon uh, State game. Yeah, doing the little scouting for the next two opponents who happen to be playing against each other. Great game uh, on that one. Um, well, let's let we have a bunch of questions, but I want to break down a little bit. We'll do you know kind of both sides of the ball. Uh, get your thoughts on offense first, and we'll get your thoughts on defense, and we can take a break and then uh, get into some of the questions. We're just going to talk a lot a lot of those aspects. Um, you know, the the old cliche of tail two halves. I guess you could say that's that's what happened here. USC's first five drives. Extremely efficient, uh, five touchdowns, did not face a third down in any of those drives. Uh, USC didn't get stopped until, you know, time ran out in the first half. So no punts, uh, only one third down in the first half. That was in the uh, that final drive before halftime. But in the five touchdown drives, no, not even facing a third down. That's how crazy efficient this offense was. Uh, you know, a couple turnovers from the defense that helped. But, the, you know, the, every time the USC offense got the ball, they put it in the end zone. Second half, not so much. Um, you know, there was three field goal attempts. There were still some big plays that, you know, or opening play for Jordan Addison to start the third quarter. Um, that was a really good one. But, you know, just get your thoughts on sort of like what they look like in the first half versus what they look like in the second half, Coach, because, you know, they didn't, they didn't need to put up a whole lot of points in the second half after putting up 35 in the first. But I know it was concerning for some USC fans. So just kind of get your overall thoughts on that. Well, I tell you, they were dominating, and almost uh, people couldn't believe what they were watching. And I think this is where everybody got their opinion of, wow, what a great football team this is. Wow. They overwhelmed Stanford with their team speed. Uh, Stanford, it's difficult to practice against team speed like that or the type of uh, spreading the field that they do and keep you off balance so much with an athletic quarterback, great receivers. I mean, how do you defend it all? And when you're hot which means uh, the pass is right there. Uh, guys are missing tackles. You're getting big plays. Uh, the momentum really turns your way. 
Stanford second-guessing themselves. Uh, their coaches are looking, what can we do to adjust to this? Well, all of a sudden, uh, you gain this extra confidence that it becomes really exciting for everyone. And uh, that's, I think, what everybody saw was, oh, my gosh, what am I seeing out there? What, what is this? Star Wars? What, what's going on out here? <laughs> no, really, it was one of those type of things. I think everybody was mesmerized, just saying, what is this going on? If it wasn't uh, uh, one guy, it was another. It didn't make any difference who had the ball. They all did such a great job as far as game planning it, keeping Stanford off balance, uh, and, again, uh, having Stanford maybe change their game plan a bit because they're always trying to catch up. They they tried to ball control uh, USC to keep them off the field. Like I said, that's the way you beat them is by ball controlling and time of possession, but they didn't do that. Time of possession was about equal. But uh, they had Stanford in a position of what do we do? Do we just run the clock out, keep the ball on the ground? Do we try to catch up? And, you know, sometimes when you try to catch up, you try too hard, you have turnovers, you try to throw through people, and they make mistakes. So they caused that through the way they jump out on people, 21-7, to and then continued it in the first half. And, uh, and you know, I think everybody that saw the game was absolutely in shock in a way nationally, as far as who watch it nationally, uh, of the speed and the way USC's offense kept uh, U.S. or uh, U. Stanford completely off balance, and then see. But I look at the complete game. I look at the complete game when I watch a football game, and I don't jump to quick conclusions because I look at the defensive side of the football. And yes, they've created eight turnovers, but what if you didn't create those eight turnovers? I mean, turnovers is something you're not going to get four turnovers every game, okay? Unless teams are just not very good and throwing into coverages and the different things that are happening. But again, USC's defensive front tips so many balls. That's one thing they do that's so good as far as on the defensive side of the football. They tip a lot of passes, and they give that opportunity for turnovers. And uh, they've got a lot of turnovers, but look where they've got a lot of their turnovers, really. Downward teams are close in the red zone of scoring. So if you don't get those, you're possibly on the other side of maybe – you playing catch-up with the same type of scoring back and forth for each other, which is trying to outstore each other. So my concern after the first two games is uh, the defense, to me, still is suspect. I think there's some outstanding players on the defensive side that are playing really tremendously. Tua, number 49, I mean, he's a, he's a beast. I mean, the way he plays football, he loves football. Anywhere you put him, he's in the show. He's there. But one thing they do on defense, they swarm you, which means there's so many people around the football. That's why they get a, a lot of the turnovers, because when there is a turnover, there's a lot of people there in a position to get that football or intercept that pass or whatever's there, the tip or whatever. But I, I'm a little concerned about the physicalness of the defensive side of the football. I think they're missing a couple of players on the defensive side of the football. And when they play a good football team, and I don't know what's happening to Notre Dame and what their challenge will be and what type of football team they'll be when they play them. Utah certainly demonstrated they didn't like losing uh, down there to Florida with their big win, but who did they beat? Not be, nobody really. So, you know, there's a lot to, 
to look at this coming season. Uh, I tell you, this coming week, if Fresno State would have beaten in the last seconds, a minute and five seconds, would have beaten Oregon State, the Bulldogs would have come charging down that freeway. But it's very difficult to overcome those last-minute wins, and they're going to have a hangover, I think. Boise, uh, Oregon State uh, now could be undefeated when you play them. So we'll see exactly what happens with that. I think USC is a good football team, but I don't think right now you can put them in class, jump to the conclusions like a lot of people are saying, it's playoff time, it's playoff time. No, no, no. There's a lot of things that still have to be solved, and I think if you talk to Lincoln Riley with closed doors and sit down, he would say, yeah, we got to do this, we got to do that, we got to make some adjustments here and there. Uh, to, and try to get better, but if you don't have the talent in those certain areas to get better, which they do on offense, but not necessarily on defense for what I'm seeing, that they might have to rotate some people there on the defensive line and change some positions to get better. Yeah, you know, Lincoln Riley called the defensive, uh, the way the defense played, uh, you know, creating explosive plays, which I don't know if I've heard that very often. It's more like, yeah, the offense, you know, Jordan Addison catches a 75-yard bomb, that's an explosive play, but they're getting explosive plays on defense, not just the turnovers, but, you know, five sacks of Tanner McKee. This was a couple, uh, you know, forced fumbles, uh, you know, Max Williams balling out there, you know, and doing his thing. Um, so, yeah, I, that's kind of funny with the explosive plays on defense. I don't know if you can rely on that because you're not going to get that every time. But they've definitely shown, you know, through two, two games, eight turnovers total and none by the off, you know, none by USC, forcing eight. Probably not sustainable, but there's a there's a pattern there. You're a team that just creates turnovers. That's just something you do. That's in your DNA. But I wanted to get your opinion on the slow mesh that Stanford was running, Coach, because it's one of those things to have the exact opposite thing happen of last year, where Stanford came in just overwhelmed USC. Uh, you know, and, you know they had so many beatdowns in the Coliseum last year that it got Clay Helton fired, and the reverse of it and. You could argue this was a Stanford team that I felt put all the you know pulled out all the stops. They didn't look like the same team they played against Colgate. They literally just went against Colgate and ran some generic stuff that w- they weren't going to be doing against USC. They changed their defensive front from last year. They changed their offense. And you know if you don't know the slow mesh is something that Dave Clawson runs at Wake Forest and uh, Bruce Feldman is pretty close with him and I'm you know tight with Bruce. Uh, I talked to Bruce about it. You know, he actually ran it for the Pee Wee team that he coaches with his son, uh, which was kind of funny. He wrote a story on it, you know, just kind of what this is. But really, the first time I got to see it in person, um, and it was it was definitely different. And you know, talking to Bruce about this, coach, he doesn't think anyone else in the country runs this offense. He wasn't sure if if David Shaw or anyone in his staff, you know, Trevita Pritchard talked to. Dave Clawson or anyone at Wake Forest, or if they just kind of studied this film-wise. But I'm, you know, I don't want to be a defensive apologist, but when you come out with a completely new offense that only one team in the country runs, and you're like, okay, so this is completely different than anything we've ever seen before. To me, that's saying Stanford pulled out all the stops, and they still weren't able to get it done. Um, so I don't know what I wanted to get your thoughts on that you know, as a former coach, when, when a team does something like that, th- this is about as unique as you could get as far as, Hey, we're going to now run this slow mesh offense that wake forest runs just completely out of the blue. 
Well, you know, to me, when I watch that offense, it's not a lot different than what the country's running. Maybe a few wrinkles here or there. Uh, Tanner McGee, I think, would makes the difference in the offense. You know, you can run a lot of offense, and if you don't have the right players playing certain positions, I mean, it ain't going to work. I don't care what offense you run. But it fits Tanner McGee. And it fits their receivers. Their receivers are all 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", type of guys. And if you notice on the defensive side of the football, the defensive backs from USC were having a lot of trouble covering those guys. They were feeling them, grabbing them. Got a lot of penalties. And uh, it puts a big strain on you. They're not speed guys, but they're route guys. They're like basketball players going up for rebounds. And you can't get up there and play with them. As far as uh, the running game, it's basically the same running game, but it fits the personnel that they have at Stanford. And I think that's what David Shaw is trying to do, is fit the personnel that they have there. Tanner McKee, an athletic quarterback like Caleb Williams is, he's not going to run around and spread the field and run bootlegs and run up the middle and do all of that type of stuff. He's a drop-back quarterback. And, uh, and I think they're trying to fit the offense around the personnel they have in order to compete. And I think that's smart coaching because I think you've got to do that. So they make some changes, but I don't see the offense as being so unique that no one in the world can adjust to it. I mean, you've got to adjust to what the personnel is you're facing and stop it. But it's basically a spread offense. It's basically they got big guys up there that and the tight ends, they utilize their tight ends. they got big offensive linemen and so on. But, you know, they didn't really, uh, I mean, yeah, they moved the football, but a lot of times they moved the football because SC hurt themselves with, with penalties and so on. But I didn't think they, you know, had anything so unique that it would cause so much problems for USC's defense. I think they just mismatched and put their personnel in certain positions where they tried to uh, put them in a position where it would be very difficult for USC to play them. And I think that's what you call game planning. So, you know, uh, I thought it was, you know, whatever they call that offense or yeah, the whatever. Slow mesh. You, I mean, we just don't see that, Coach, though, where the quarterback, what? so the mesh is between with the quarterback and the running back, and they're essentially like, like standing next to each other, and then the quarterback's viewing the field and seeing what a safety does or a linebacker does, and then it could be a handoff, it could be a pass after that. Um, but that the slow, like the slow developing aspect of it, USC had a really hard time early on and McKee would just hand the ball off uh, usually to, you know, EJ Smith. And there was just like these big holes. Like, like you know, it was definitely a new wrinkle. Like I, I get well, they, that, they, you know, the, they had, they had big holes, but myself, I thought the defense, uh, USC's defense was out of alignment. Uh, you, you, you had big holes by the way, USC's defense aligned to it on the left side where they were running tackle just turned out. They pulled the offside guard. And so on one led, led through, the other one turned up, and the guy's running forever. I mean, I thought it was a misalignment and the linebacker getting cut off or the safety not filling the hole to take that gap. Uh, that's what I thought when I saw it. I said, man, they never made an adjustment uh, to that play, and uh, that's why they were taking advantage of that. And obviously that's what he's audibilizing to, because you can see it. You say, well, right there, if you don't run the football there, you, you're, you're not, you, know, you run away from the strength of the defense, and that's what they did. So, you know, I thought that they took advantage of USC's maybe misalignment or confusion. If you if you listen to uh, Lincoln Riley at halftime, he said, we've got to get an alignment straightened away. We're confused on the defensive side of the football. And they were. 
They were not getting the alignments correctly, and they were taking advantage of that. And this is when you have smart kids that look at the defense, and they take advantage of the weakest part of your defense and try to capitalize on it. And I thought that's what they were doing, I thought. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. All right. Well, I, mean, I I felt there was a really kind of unique thing that David Shaw pulled out. I mean, if you think it's the, the kind of the same as, as what everyone else runs, but if there's changes like that, if someone's running sort of a office, it could have been like, I don't know, Wildcat or whatever it is, something that there was a little bit different and a coach sort of like, hey, we're going to implement that um, in the off season. Is that something you've seen before a lot? How does that usually get done? Is there communication between coaching staffs or? Uh, oh some, yeah, yeah. There's a lot. In fact, uh, we opened up against BYU my first game as a head coach at UNLV when they had the Steve Young, and they had such a great series as far as screen series and draw series and so on that uh, I sent my whole offensive staff to BYU during the off season before spring ball for them to meet together, and they all meet together. We all met together with them. I didn't go, but the offensive coaches went to find out exactly how they ran their draws, what they saw with their draws, why they ran those type of draws, the blocking of them, and the whole thing. And uh, coaches are very sharing because all we do is steal from each other. And what that means, if you beat me with something, you want to know how you beat that, why you put it in, what your reads are. And then again, when you play them, they're very secretive. But there's a lot of a lot of X and Oing going on in restaurants and bars with coaches with pencils and pens all the time. So, yeah, you know, and then again, there's a lot of clinics to go on where coaches get together and talk about why you do this and how do you stop this and how did you do this? Why did you attack this? How would you attack this defense? Those type of things. It's a lot of that going on all the time. Gotcha. Um, we, we have a bunch of questions to get to, so I'll do that in a minute, but I wanted to let you know, there's a little bit of, uh, I don't know if it's breaking, but kind of breaking news. Uh, so USC's kickoff time against Oregon state, you already mentioned playing Fresno state in the Coliseum. That's going to be at 7 30 PM, but for the following week, another road pack 12 road game, USC going to Corvallis to take on Oregon state, half a, half a research stadium. Cause they had to, you know, tear down half of it. Uh, we're going to be in some temporary press boxes and stuff for that because that whole side is gone as they do the renovation to the stadium. Uh, but that's going to be a 6.30 p.m. kickoff, and it's going to be on Pac-12 Network, which a little you know, disappointing. I mean, this is a potential um, you know, 3-0 USC team, 3-0 Oregon State team. We'll see what happens uh, this coming weekend. But you know, a little disappointed to see it on Pac-12 Network. But any thoughts uh, on USC, Oregon State uh, playing at that time, Coach? Yeah, I do. I'm disappointed also. I think that uh, nothing against, like you said, the Pac-12 network, except you don't get the exposure the Pac-12 deserves when two undefeated teams play. I mean, if USC is all what people are saying they are, they should be on a national network across the country to demonstrate their ability as far as for the nation to watch. And uh, I think the networks, uh, I don't understand uh, if there's... uh, a uh, minimum of times you can do that or what the Pac-12 contracts are where you're required to be on the Pac-12 network so many times or whatever. But to me, that's a very interesting football game. And I would think it would be maybe an afternoon game or 5 o'clock kickoff or 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock or even a 4.30 kickoff. But 6.30, now we're going back to the East Coast again. And here it is, 9.30 and again, we want the national press as far as the Pac-12. Who's the face 
of the Pac-12, USC, then why would you have them on at 6.30 when you need the East Coast for ratings, you need it for rankings, and all of the above when two of your undefeated teams are playing? Why? Yeah, it's crazy. So John Wilner tweeted out kind of his thoughts on this, why this game's going to be on Pac-12 Network. Uh, Oregon State should be ranked, by the way. Uh, we do our Pac-12 power rankings. We have Oregon State third. I mean, they beat Boise State and Fresno State, like two you know really good teams. Fresno State won. 10 games last year. I mean, these are good, you know, really good Mountain West uh, teams. So if if they were in any other conference, this would be a ranked team. They're going to play Montana State, so they'll win that one. If USC can get by Fresno State, you're talking about two undefeated teams um, in the Pac-12 early in the season. And so Wildner said that USC has to appear on the Pac-12 networks three times. They already were once for Rice. Um, ESPN Fox likely trying to get access to the bigger games later and with Colorado USC on a Friday that's not one that you could put you know Colorado's terrible so you, you could have put that on Pac-12 network um, so that's probably the reason why so with only one Pac-12 game net, network game after this it would either be like Cal or Arizona and then when USC plays Arizona State Washington State Utah UCLA those teams you know those could be on ESPN or Fox so that was sort of like um, John Wilner's uh, thoughts about this which which makes sense but I know early on, Coach, I, this was one I'd circled from the very beginning. And the fact that Oregon State was able to get over both, both, both Boise and Fresno, and I thought they'd be a good team, and they look like they are. And then USC was able to get over you know, Stanford, and we'll see if they get over Fresno State. I mean, this was an early, tough matchup, I think, and a really good matchup. So I, a little disappointing that it's going to be on Pac-12 Network. Well, this began the Pac-12 hurting themselves, okay, and what they've signed agreements with all of their teams within the conference. As far as, yeah, we all do everything equal. Everything's equal. Well, you know, everything isn't equal if you want to make money and you want exposure for your conference. So if you got to be on the Pac-12 network three times, all right, put the teams that nobody wants to watch on the network three times, okay? Put your best teams on and get the rankings and get the – uh, the exposure that the Pac-12 needs by getting them on the big networks. And I don't know what the contracts say, but when you put those contracts together, I think it's got to be put together where your best teams in the face of the program is the ones that are on national television. Now, that's just my opinion, okay? But, uh, you know, uh, that's my thought because, you know, it, it's it, they've gone through this for the last 10 years or since – our man Larry was around. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's the one that organized all this and put all this together, the genius, <laughs> made his millions of dollars that everybody thought it was a genius, and he's gone. And this is what you're left to live with because the contracts are there. But maybe George K could put the group together and say, hey, guys, we maybe can change us among ourselves because we are the Pac-12 network and make some type of changes here until this thing is over with where we take care of our conference more. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you can do those type of things. So this what the contract is, but I certainly would call up Colorado and say, you know, you play every Saturday at 7.30 and, uh, because nobody's going to watch them. <laughs> yeah. All right, Coach. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and answer more questions. Back in a minute. eBay Motors is here for the ride. 
Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Um, we got a few voicemails. I, be, I feel bad. Sean from Kentucky, you left like a three-minute voicemail. We can't we can't read that one. I mean, play that one. I'm sorry about that. Uh, this one's actually a little longer, too. Not that long. Um, but it's but there were there a couple good topics I wanted you to talk about, Coach. So let me play this one for you. This message is for Ryan and the coach. Um, I got uh, two things I got to get off my chest after great win. Fantastic win. First, though, um, uh, Mike Bowen, uh, Lincoln Riley, President Fultz, they need to bring legal charges against the turf manager at Stanford. That field was ridiculous. It looked like they hosed it down for a week straight. They had, you know, I don't know, uh, trucks driving all through it. Every time one of our players made a cut, you'd see mud fly in the air. I think uh, uh, Caleb and a few other uh, uh, skilled players hurt their ankles running on that turf. It was ridiculous. The the Pac-12 should really look into that and find Stanford. That was horrible. That was not safe for players, and it's a dirty trick. Other thing is, um, I'm really excited about this defense, and I got to tell you, they gave up yards, they gave up some points, but there was one play in particular where when I saw them doing something, that made me think, yep, these guys have a championship attitude. When Eric Gentry got punched right in uh, <laughs> in his, uh, his special place there, and he screamed, you could hear it on the broadcast, but he wouldn't let him, he wouldn't come out of the game. He got hurt, he was not feeling well, but he wouldn't come out of the game because it meant that much to him. Now that's a baller. That's someone who plays with tenacity. You know, if that happened under Clay Helton, the, the kid would have been out for three weeks icing himself. Uh, so it's a different team. You know, we should all buy tickets to SoFi. See you on January 9th. All right, Ryan, that was a long uh, yeah. question. Why don't you just give me the two points? It was a little hot for me to hear that the two points he wants me to answer. Okay, first, he thought the turf was terrible. I took a picture at the end of the game when we were doing instant analysis, and the turf looked like... Yeah, it looked like you were tilling it for to plant seeds or something. It was really tore up. So, any thoughts on the turf? 
Yeah. Uh, first of all, there's two ways you decide if the turf is terrible or you weren't wearing the right shoes. Normally, uh, you take two or three different pairs of shoes with you, and your shoes and your cleats have got to match the turf, okay? When you play at home, you know what your turf is, so you know exactly what cleat and what shoe you should use. On the road, sometimes you should know exactly their turf, so you know what shoe you should use or bring another pair of shoes with you that are turf shoes so that you try them, and if it isn't good for you during warm-ups, you change your shoes. That's always something we've always done. Same with AstroTurfs. There are different types of uh, AstroTurf where you one shoe will work and the other shoe won't work. So you've got to be sure you have the right shoe to play on the right turf and AstroTurf. That's number one. Uh, you can hurt yourself playing on uh, turfs where you're slipping all the time, which is an unnatural move as far as for your knees and ankles and so on, and you see hamstrings. You see guys really getting hurt sometimes from not even getting hit. Uh, I think you saw that yesterday in the uh, uh, Charger game. I think Williams got hurt that way, pulled a hamstring by slipping uh, at SoFi. So that's what I can see, and the only thing I could see as far as the turf itself, it's either the shoe or the not proper shirt for the turf that you're using. So I don't think I saw Stanford slide, sliding around, but USC was. So they had the correct shoe, and USC's shoe probably wasn't what was fitted for that field. Yeah, we saw Mario fall down a couple of times. He just wanted to comment on the toughness, or Eric Gentry got hit uh, below the belt and uh, didn't come out of the game. So he just thought that that was uh, a good sign of, of toughness out there. Well... You know that I don't know how many of you have played sports, but it's a very uh, painful uh, type of experience. I've had it happen to me, and uh, I cannot believe he continued playing with it uh, hurting that much, but he did. And sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's bad. Maybe you should take a player too off. But uh, he uh, got back in there and played, and uh, I'm assuming that everything was okay for him to do that. Yeah. All right, we got a text message. Um, it's from DC, uh, DC Trojan. Uh, where would Stanford's offensive line rank among the teams that we will face this year? Um, I th my thoughts. I, I think Stanford's offensive line wasn't uh, great. Um, you know, I think Oregon State's gonna have a better offensive line. I think Utah will. I think Fresno State probably will. I'm not. Uh, an expert on all the different offensive lines, but I would say this is not your typical Stanford offensive line that you would think of. That's a dominant uh, force. Uh, you know, they, I thought they did okay, uh, but you know, they gave up five sacks um, for Tanner McKee. They did open up some big holes, but I think a lot of that was scheme with that that slow mesh kind of thing that USC was confused, you know, fitting that. But any thoughts on where you rank Stanford's offensive line, Coach? Right, they were all five return starters. I tell you, they're not athletic. You know, you can make moves on them, and they can't react to your moves as far as very well. So, yeah, they're big, but they're not athletic as far as what I call an athletic uh, type of offensive lineman where you get in the right position and a guy tries to do certain things to you, and you're strong and big, and you can stop a power rush. Or if he tries to swim technique on your power arm through you, you're able to uh, adjust to that. I didn't think that they are very athletic. I think Fresno State's offensive line is probably better. 
I saw both plays. I watched the Fresno State line. And uh, as far as Oregon State, they're well coached. Both Fresno State and Oregon State are really well coached. Uh, Tedford and uh, Jonathan Smith are both the identical type of coaches. Very uh, academic, very uh, quiet, very much allowing their assistants to do the job. So I think they're going to play two teams that are very similar to each other. They take their personnel and get the most out of their personnel. They really do. Fresno State, now you've got an emotional deal with them. Don't take Oregon State for granted on beating Montana State. Montana State's a good football team. If you remember, Montana went into Seattle last year and beat Washington, so it's not a gimme. They're going to have to play hard to beat Montana State because they're a winning program. So I think uh, Fresno State's got a challenge now because I think USC sees a light possibly at the end of the tunnel. Overconfidence is one thing that could hurt USC now, but they think it's too easy. And Fresno State will come down there, and if Tedford gets them ready to play, we'll give them a challenge. I really believe that. So that's the way I'd answer the offensive line. Yeah, and then um, USC did force 12 uh, tackles for loss in that game. So, you know, usually the offensive line is do- isn't doing a great job if that's the if that's the case. Um, let's go to an email. Jack uh, from New Jersey. Hey, Ryan and Coach Hyde. It was a nice win against Stanford, but the defense was too porous. They're not going to get four turnovers every game and bail them out. As recently quoted by a USC team alumnus, quote, USC D-line doesn't have big enough butts. The offensive the offense looked great and was unstoppable in the first half, but he has a lot of butts in here. What happened in the second half? I'm not accepting an explanation that they eased up on the gas pedal. These issues are especially concern, um, concerning since Ryan considers Stanford to be, quote, butt, but... Uh, because they didn't look like, quote, butt on Saturday night. But now, man, there's so many butts in here. Oregon State and Washington State have ha- uh, maybe the games that determine if USC wins the Pac-12. Your thoughts, please. Oh, and how uh, is Clay Helton 2-0 and and beats Nebraska? Really? Stanford must really be, quote, butt. Uh, Jack from New Jersey with a lot of butts in there, Coach. Well, Clay <laughs> Helton caused, caused Frost his job. Yeah. Uh, they relieved him of his it's like coaching a, position. It's like a year away from him getting losing a game you shouldn't have lost and uh, getting fired. Then he does the exact same thing to Nebraska's Scott Frost. So I think David Shaw did USC fans a favor last year, and uh, now you have Lincoln Riley. And I think Clay Helton probably did Nebraska fans a favor, <laughs> and they'll try to get somebody else. Uh, congratulations to Clay. I'll tell yes. you, he was a. Uh... Happy camper, man. I tell you, he was jumping up and down. He was praying. He was doing everything at the end of the game. He couldn't watch the last play. I mean, really, he, he knew what was at almost about ready to happen, but he said something's going to happen where I'm not going to win this football game. We've all been there. I don't know if you've been there. And, and my coaches used to say to me, uh, let's substitute a little bit. I said, don't put one substitute in this game. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're 21 points, but coach, we're 21 points ahead. Yeah, but there's eight minutes left. You know, <laughs> it's 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 one of those things that you're paranoid as a head football coach because every win is so important to you and your future and the team and so on. But you know, uh, that's, yeah, uh, it was good. He, I think Ross Dellinger quote, I mean, uh, tweeted out that 
Uh, there were some, you know, he congratulated USC on their, you know, on their great start. Obviously, beating Stanford, the team that got cost, cost him his job. And Mike Bone had texted Clay Helton congratulating him on the win. So it was not the typical, like, we fired you. Uh, there seemed to still be, you know, there doesn't seem to be a lot of animosity. I think people kind of understood what needed to happen. So that was, that was a good, good thing I read today, too. I think it was good for both people. I really do. I think Clay's a little bit relieved. Uh, he's down in his element. He's a rich man. He's probably living on a lake with a, a stable of horses and everything else down there. And I think that was good for USC with a fresh start, a good fresh start for Clay. And uh, I think it's good for everyone. I mean, it's a new attitude, a new year, a lot of things happening. And uh, I forgot what the second part of this guy's question was. I want to answer it. Oh, it, yeah, it was just kind of commenting like what you had talked about before, just concerns on the defense that you can't rely on yeah. all those turnovers. You right. know, so I think we kind of yeah. discussed that. So. Okay, okay. I want to make sure I answer everyone's question. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we got another voicemail from our buddy Curtis. Hey, Ryan, this is for you and the coach. Very proud of the team uh, have offensive and defensive question. Coach, has Lincoln Riley ever shown the ability to slow the game down with the running game? Because when we go up against one of those better offensive teams uh, that we just can't stop, we're going to have to slow the game down with our offense. Second, defense. I hope we're just one of those special defenses that you can bend but not break. When you get in the red zone, they stiffen up. We get fumbles. We get interceptions. We get tip passes. This can't be lucky if it keeps happening. Luck favors the prepared, and these players are prepared. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Well, first of all, if you watch Lincoln Riley's football teams, uh, he doesn't get off the gas pedal. You didn't even see Miller Moss in the game. And uh, I thought in the second half, third quarter, that maybe Miller should have got in the game and get some reps, uh, just to get you know to give the kid a chance. But he didn't. He doesn't substitute. He's one that will go after you as hard as he can go after you. And I could see it on his face. He was flustered in the second half that the team was not operating or didn't have its rhythm that it had in the first half as far as the success and the intensity and the upbeat that the offense normally has. Yes, he runs the football, and he I think he has a great scheme. You'll see more and more type of plays off his, his offense. You'll see play-action screens. You'll see a lot of things. He didn't run any reverses or counters or any of that uh, against Stanford. But he has something for everything, okay? And I think he believes in the run. He really believes in the run because he has great bootleg action with Caleb Williams. I mean, really, I thought Caleb ran too much in the football game. Personally, I think that he tried to take the game over too much. And I, you certainly don't want him running just to run the football. You want him to run when it's there or run to the sideline and get what you can get. So, you know, uh, but I, I think he has something for everything. I love his offense. I love what he does because he's prepared. He knows it. He doesn't have to have six big cards that you trip over on the sideline or big cards going up showing everybody weenies on one card and uh, some airline on another card and all of this. He communicates with his quarterback because he designed that offense. 
He made that offense. He doesn't need to rely on what hash mark you're on or whatever. He knows that already in his mind. So uh, I could say I could see he was a little upset with the performance of the offense the second half as far as executing it. And I think he'll talk with them about that. Now, as far as the defensive side is concerned, as far as I think that he realizes that if you were to sit down and talk to him, he would say, yes, we've got to get better on defense because what happens, they score so many points, the offense, that the opponent gets panicked out and they say, we've got to score when we get down here, and they take too many chances. They try to throw the ball through linebackers. They try to do things because they're afraid they're going to be denied uh, and maybe just get three points. Three points doesn't do anything against SC, USC. That won't bother them a bit. They know they got to answer seven points to USC, seven points, or they're not going to be in the game. So as they close the gap down towards the goal line, offensive teams will take more chances, and on the defensive side of the football, they don't have to cover as much field. So their quickness on that side of the field is an advantage to the defense unless you can line up and power block and run right at them and dominate them. So I think that has a lot to do with what you've seen so far this season. Yeah, but I do like his point about stiffing up in the red zone. That was something that definitely happened. And so, I mean, that's uh, that's that's a thing. That's not that's not luck a lot of times. That's you know, if you play a little bit better in the red zone when there's not as much space to cover, I mean, that could be a, a you know an identity of this defense too. Um, we got a couple more, and we'll let you go, Coach. This is uh, well, this uh, this one is from let's see, Franklin from Rockland, California. So he's MPA Trojan on. Uh, uscfootball.com on the peristyle. So he says, I understand USC is second to last in rushing yards allowed per game through week two at 183.5 per game. Is this more a matter of who they've played so far and or a run, a bad run defense? And how worried should we be about this going forward from Franklin? So he's saying that we're giving up too many yards on the rush. 183 yards per game. I haven't looked at the stats, but that uh, I don't know if he was talking about Second to last in the Pac-12 or second to last in the country, but 183 yards rushing per game. Well, you know, you don't want to give up any yards if you can help it. And, you know, you when you sack someone, those yards come off. So uh, maybe they are giving up. Because if you have five sacks, I don't know how many yards that is totally. You're probably over 200 yards. So, you know, you want to keep people under 200 yards if you can uh, as far as rushing the football. But... Again, uh, I can't say that because what if a team runs the ball more and they pass the football? Well, obviously, they're going to have more yards rushing than they are passing. So uh, when you go against, uh, I mean, Rice, Rice should have zero yards, okay? They're not a great football team. Uh, Stanford is a team that plays big-time football. They play Notre Dame. They play Oregon. They play everybody, okay? And I think David Shaw's got a great offensive mind and knew that he had to run the football to beat USC and take time off the clock. And uh, he attempted to do that, and he didn't get the big plays as far as the rushing game was concerned. He threw a lot of fade routes and uh, big routes and got a lot of yards through his penalties, pass interference, which they're going to have to clean up in the secondary because they're not always going to get away with that. And, yes, we were holding. 
Yes, they were penalties. Yes, they were ticky-tacky. They are calling that penalty now more than ever because there's so much complaining that's going on by the offensive coaches. And they want it to be an offensive game. They want it to be a show. So the, the defense is at a disadvantage all the time. So they'll continue doing that. So I don't know. It's hard. You know, I'm not a stat guy. I'm more of a guy that likes the left-hand column. I like to win ugly. I like to do whatever it takes to get that W, then move to the next opponent. And yes, I'd like to look good in all the stats and win too, and don't get anybody hurt and all of the above. But I think the number one objective is not the halftime score of the staffs, it's the final score. Yeah, just to let everyone know what he's talking about, um, for against Rice, uh, the Rice Owls had gained 170 yards rushing but they had lost uh, 24 yards, 21 of them uh, from the quarterback on sacks. So it was a net of 146 yards. For Stanford, it was a little bit different. They gained 273 yards rushing, but had 52 yards in losses, 35 of those from Tanner McKee. And uh, EJ Smith had like 14 yards of losses too. He had that backward pass that he fumbled and stuff. It was a, it was a run, but it was a backward throw. So Stanford netted 221 yards rushing. So... Yeah, there was you know the the losses definitely offset that, but 183 per game is a little concerning. Um, the last one, it's uh, two different people sending questions about the same topic. First from Lloyd, he emailed in. Uh, uh, it looks to me that USC took its foot off the gas and couldn't get things going in the second half. Uh, what is your opinion on that? And then Robert in Athens, Greece, sent us a text message. He's class of 2000, so all the way from Athens. That's cool. Um, do you think Coach Riley took his foot off the gas pedal and kind of uh, let Stanford hang around more than he should have? So get your thoughts on the whole taking your foot off the gas in the second half part, Coach. No, I don't think he took his foot off the gas. I think they went at halftime and uh, cooled off and talked to each other about how good they were and probably text out to people. I don't know what they do in there at halftime because they were sort of having their way at halftime. They really were having their way. So it was something that didn't uh, excite them. And when they lose that little edge, it's hard to get it back. And I don't think he was happy about it at all. I could see it in his in his play calling. I could see it in his reactions. Uh, his team didn't come out with the same spark that it did the big at the beginning of the game, and they didn't perform the same. And they, if you do that, against a good opponent, you can't get that back. Once you lose that, it, the momentum, and you don't bury somebody, you got to bury somebody where they finally throw out the white flag or the coach looks across the field at you and says, hey, man, what are you doing? Please. you know, Or you won't look at him, but you know what you're doing. You're burying him, okay? So, you know, I think that it's tough to get it going again. And I, I think the second half, USC offensively lost their momentum. Uh, they went to sleep at halftime. They didn't come out. The score of the game is something that he's going to point out to them that he didn't like that. He didn't like the way they came back out. But he didn't substitute. It's not like he substituted. There was the whole same guys in there, okay? The whole game. And Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, he was same playing calling, same everything. So he's not happy with that. They'll work on that this week, believe me. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Yeah, I thought there may be a little complacency going on. They did have that bomb to start the third quarter, but yeah, you know, there were a few penalties. Things just weren't as crisp uh in the second half. So 
Um, all right, Coach. Well, great stuff. Uh, great to break down the game with you and get the coach's perspective on what's going on. Of course, USC, Fresno State this weekend, 730 uh, in the L.A. Coliseum. So it should be a lot of fun. We'll see if Fresno State can kind of shake off that really tough last-second loss to Oregon State. Uh, I kind of agree with you. I think there's going to be a little hangover there, but uh, we will see. But uh, 2-0 for the Trojans, 1-0 in conference. The only undefeated Pac-12 team uh, in conference play because it's the only conference game that's been played. But, uh, Coach, thanks again for uh, coming on the show. Great to talk to you, and I hope we'll talk again soon. And thank you. And, uh, Ryan, I just want to remind everybody, Sunday morning is coming uh, Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on AM 830. Chuck Hayes and myself will be on for a two-hour show. And in the future, I want to have you on that too, Ryan. That'd be great. Love to, I'd love to come on, Coach, and t- talk some more football. Whenever I get a chance, it's always great. I love talking with you, and for all of you out there, thank you very much for being a part of the program. Without you, we don't have a show. So buckle up out there and be safe. All right. Thanks to the Coach Ari Hyde. Thanks to all of you out there listening in the Peristyle Podcast land. We appreciate it, like Coach said. Hope you enjoyed it, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.